0: living a life devoted to the Lord, it really looks a lot different than it did 2,000 years ago um, in the days of the early church. And there's a lot of reasons for that. We could exhaust that topic for sure. I think in the beginning, when you look at, like in the book of Acts, um, it really reflects part of God's word that he sent to Jeremiah. Like when he says in verse 21, he said, Yet I planted you a noble vine. I planted you a noble choice vine. And he says, a completely faithful seed. In other words, a right seed. There was nothing wrong about what I did in you. Then he goes on to say, and describes really what easily and often can happen to that work that he he begins. His word says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. We know that, and he says in Philippians... For you also, all are probably very aware of what can happen and often does happen to saints along the way. He says, I planted you a noble choice vine, a completely faithful seed. And then he says, how then have you turned yourself before me into the degenerate shoots of a foreign vine? In other words, degenerate, degenerate plants of a, of a um, strange vine. It's like God was saying, I planted you right. You were mine. I didn't make any mistakes. You bore my name. You bore my nature. But now you've turned degenerate. Degenerate just means uh, to diminish in quality. I planted you correctly. I, I planted you just right. You were mine. You bore my name, my nature. But your quality has diminished. And granted, he's saying this to the prophet Jeremiah on behalf of the uh, the people of Judah and to Jerusalem and, and way back when, but, but it can apply even here. That's one of the things I've been pondering this week. It's like how um, or what has caused the degeneration in the church? What has caused that? What is causing the lack of quality of faith and the lack of quality of uh, biblical morality and what is called the lack of of quality, of reaching out to those who are lost in the power of the Holy Spirit to win them to the Lord. What has, what has produced that, uh, that degeneration? I think the answer has been, it is now, and probably always be, that, that circle of happening revolves around idolatry. And that's really what God was saying through Jeremiah. He's, he's addressing this thing Of idolatry. Look at verse 11. You remember he says. My people have changed their glory. For that which does not profit. They have changed their quality. They have changed the valuable characteristics of God in their lives. For something that leads them nowhere and leads them to nothing. It's what his people historically continue to do over and over some of you guys may be familiar with A.W. Tozer. He's a great author and preacher in sermons. And I found this quote this past week as I was reading in another book. It says, We may as well face it. The whole level of spirituality among us is low. We have measured ourselves by ourselves. Until the incentive to seek higher plateaus in the things of the Spirit is all but gone. We have imitated the world. We have sought popular favor. We have manufactured delights to substitute for the joy of the Lord. And we have produced a cheap and synthetic power to substitute for the Holy Ghost. Talking about the Holy Spirit of God. The incentive to seek higher plateaus in the things of the Lord is is all but gone. Man, I read that and I was like, oh man. If you were here last week, you know that Soma Church is using um, our shared values as kind of a springboard for the church. And when I say church, I mean the individuals that make up the church. And obviously we're specifically talking about us gathered this morning. We're using it as a springboard for us to learn how to, to like like Tozer was saying, to to seek higher plateaus in the things of the Spirit. Higher places in the Lord. Greater levels of quality in our lives. And, and sometimes it's hard to, to get ourselves back on that, that way of thinking or that path. And, and, it, and it, takes, it takes understanding where our treasure is. Because where our treasure is, that's where our heart is going to lead us. We're, we're driven and we're pulled and we're led a lot of times by our heart. By our emotions, by our affections. And so what we're doing is we're using Soma's shared values as a springboard to kind of get ourselves focused and becoming not just hearers of the word but doers of the word because I believe there is something in all of us, like he says in Jeremiah, that completely faithful seed that he has put in us so that we ourselves would become a choice and noble vine. That is within us, something in us that makes our, our heart long for um, for deeper peace and for, for greater joy and all of those things that we, that we call living for Christ. There is something. He has done that work in us. I think the problem is, is that our culture and recent generations have not shown us very many good examples of how to do that. Therefore, and I'm just going to say this, we are fairly clueless as how to come up higher towards the Lord. It's just true. We are not that well-versed in how to increase our faith. We're not well-versed in how to extend our hands with unconditional love and our feet carrying the gospel um, into the world in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are not good at it. If we were good at it, this world would look a lot different. Not that any of us could say it's my fault or your fault, or your, but collectively the body of Christ like Tozer said, it's just, we've, we've exchanged a, a cheap and synthetic power for the power of the Holy Spirit. And I really believe that our shared values are a manifestation of the Holy Spirit and whether or not these are going to manifest in our own lives. Manifest just means to show yourself or to show itself. Whether or not these, these values are going to show themselves in our lives really depends upon whether or not we really grasp Um, SOMA's first shared value which is authentic worship authentic worship you guys know that over the next several weeks we're going to be going through our shared values as just a springboard in case you didn't know how to get started well, we'll just use the collective body of SOMA here um, our shared values and you can adapt them as your own and you can run with them further than we could possibly run with as an organized church, you guys hear what I'm saying? It always depends upon the the individual. And so we're hoping that the church can equip the individual over the next several weeks. Amen? Does that excite you? So, authentic worship. That's what we're going to talk about today. Authentic worship. Authentic worship is our number one value at SOMA because we believe that it is God's number one value. God placed it As number one. That's why we place it as number one. Everything um, flows out of properly focused worship. Authentic worship. God said it. And Jesus the son of God echoed it. In his words and in his life. I want you to look at two places in the Bible. Turn to Exodus 20 really quick. Exodus 20. If you're familiar with um, the word a little bit maybe. You might remember that Exodus 20 is where we get. The Ten Commandments, which apparently are very, very important. Exodus 20, I'm going to read verse, I'm not going to read all of them, I'm going to read verse 1 through 6. It says, Then God spoke all of these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Verse 3, You shall have no other gods before me. And we know that as commandment number one. You shall have no other gods before me. Then he says, You shall not make for yourself an idol or anything or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. He says, You shall not worship them and serve them. Now let me, let me, um, let me pause. There was a day and age and, and really still in this world where um, People won't allow themselves to enjoy certain things in life because they feel like it might be a graven image. Whether it's a Ken and Barbie doll, or a Cool Gi Joe action figure, or whatever, don't have that because it's a graven image. And you can, you know, people apply that to all kinds of things. You got to see the two scriptures that are that are joined here to make help us make sense of that. It says, "You shall not make for yourself an idol; shall not create an idol for yourself." You shall not. I think it does mean carving something out because that's what they used to do. They'd carve idols and they would bow to it, worship to it, burn things up in front of it, stuff like that. We don't really do that. I mean, none of you guys do that, right? I've got to find a stick because I've got to worship it now. Anybody got a knife I can borrow? You know, we don't do that, okay? But look what it says. You shall not worship these things or serve them. Herein is the key. You shall not worship these things Another way to say worship is to give your affections towards, adore. You shall not adore these things, have your affections wholeheartedly given to these things in such a way that it really kind of makes your life go in a certain direction. Then he says, you shall not serve, the, uh, serve these things, serve them. He says, for I, the Lord God, am a jealous God. And what he's saying there is like, listen... Whatever it is that is distracting you, that has got your affections, something that you cannot stop doing, messing with, playing with, that you're preoccupied with. And I don't have to give a list because we can create our own list. But I encourage you in light of Exodus 20, 1 through 6 or so, what are the things in our life that just distract us, that has our affection more than God does? Bottom line, he says, You shall not have any gods before you. He says, I am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations. In other words, visiting the sins of the fathers. In other words, the idolatry of the fathers. That's what he's saying in this verse. To the fourth generations, to the third and the fourth generations to those who hate me. But, and I love this, but I will show loving kindness to thousands of generations to those who love me and who keep my commands. He's just saying, man, I, I'm in this for the long haul, and I only have good things for you. It's not me that's backing down. It's you. He said it to the people of Israel consistently. He says it to the church today. Seek me wholeheartedly. Get your affections here. Now look real quick at John 4. It says, an hour is coming, and now is... When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for such people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship Him, if you're going to worship Him, you must worship Him in spirit and in truth. In spirit, true worshipers worship in spirit and truth. He says that twice. So he's echoing the same thing. most important thing is... Authentic worship. When you look at the word authentic, it means a few different things. It means bona fide. It means real. It means not counterfeit, not copied. If you look up synonyms, I like, I like words. I like to know more and more what words mean. If you look up a couple of syn- uh, synonyms, is that how you say that? m ms They melt in your mouth, not in your hands. If you look up a couple, of, uh, one that you'll find is unquestionable. Unquestionable. Could my worship be called into question? We probably never even think about such a, a question to ask ourselves. Could my worship towards God be called into question? Another synonym is veritable. Is, this, is my worship veritable? Can it be verified? It comes from that, that uh, actually Latin word, veritas. Some of you have heard that around veritas, which means truth. <laughs> Is there truth to my worship? Like Jesus said, are you worshiping in spirit and truth? Are you a true worshiper? Is it counterfeit? I mean, it looks like worship, Brother Tony. You're doing all the right things, especially corporate. Is it, is it copied? Are you really just kind of doing things that other people do? They look spiritual when they do this, so I can look spiritual too when I do this. It's kind of like dealing with um, um, counterfeit money. Has anybody ever had a counterfeit bill? You spend it and then somebody goes, "Uh, sir, come with me. You're like, what? It's really hard to tell a a real bill from a counterfeit bill. There are ways to do it, though. You just have to look deeper. You have to know how to find that. What what does it take to to walk in authentic worship? Because this is the type of worshiper the Lord is looking for an authentic worshiper. The first thing is love him through obedience. You want to authenticate your worship? Begin obeying him intensely. When we're walking in a life of obedience, there's no question about whether our worship is real or not. And you know who's the worst critic is, the worst judge of our, of our worship and our intentions and our motives? We are. Sometimes people won't even come to church because they know they're in a bad way when it comes to the Lord. And they feel like when I, if I get there and I did the whole hula baloo, that I would just be a fake hypocrite. And so they just don't come all together. And they don't even work on their lives. It's just this vicious cycle of condemnation. Rather than going, okay, well, hmm, what if I just really worked on obeying the Lord, obeying his word? following what He says, doing what He says to do. Obedience to Christ is the number one way to authenticate your worship. If you're writing things down, you want to know, okay, I really do want to grow. I want that to become a value in my The the first thing you do is start becoming more and more and more obedient to the Word. You're not going to get it all right right away, but you will see as you become more and more obedient to the Word and you have less and less um, falls as far as sin goes, you will find yourself um, walking in less and less condemnation. You will find yourself freer freer and freer and not going, why do I have my hands raised right now? Is it because people will see me? You know the games we play with ourselves. It's endless. When I, whenever I say, uh, how, do we, how do we start obeying God or when we're going to move towards obeying God understanding that it is a process, we're going to move to it. Two things that, that came to me, and these are kind of harsh. Um, get in God's word and see what he approves of and what he doesn't approve of. Because you have to start somewhere. That's a great starting place. If you want to learn how to obey God, get in His Word. What does He approve of? What does He not approve of? Get in there and see, see what it is. And, that, and the second thing is this. Don't rationalize or make excuses for your behavior. This is what I found myself doing for years. I find some loophole or some rationalization of why I'm doing what I'm doing and saying what I'm saying. We can't do that. We will rationalize ourselves away from righteousness. That's actually good. You can write that down. We will rationalize our way away from righteousness. Don't do that. God said it. and try to live by it. And as I do that, my worship will not be called into question. Amen? We'll become authentic worshipers. The second thing is worship Him with words. This is a little more practical, but I want to encourage you guys with this. Worship the Lord with words. In other words, open your mouth and let praises come forth. Let adoration come forth. There's a couple of scriptures here. I mean, there's all kinds, all over the world that talk about this. Psalms 35. And my tongue shall speak of your righteousness and your praise all the day long. Psalm 29. Give unto the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of His holiness. Given to the Lord the glory due His name. Do that. He's saying, you know, you could try. No, he says, do that. Give to the Lord the glory that's due His name. And I love this. He says, worship the Lord in the beauty of His holiness. The beauty of His holiness is, is found in uh, the wonderful characteristics of His nature. And the reason I say that is because, well, what, what do I say? I open my mouth and what do I say? Begin boasting in His reputation. Lord, you are good. Lord, you are faithful. And let them come out of your mouth. It's amazing what can happen. Lord, you are are slow to anger, rich in love. Lord, you are faithful and true. The list goes on and on. Lord, thank you that you love me. You know? Let these things come out of our mouths. And when words come out of our mouth, Something happens in the atmosphere spiritually and in our lives. It's a challenge. Open your mouth. Don't just, in my heart, well, I just drive around the road and I think those things. And that's good. I'm encouraging you to speak those things out. Speak those things out. It does something to your heart. It just does something in you. It creates in you an authentic worship. And when your worship is focused and right, all the other values that you're striving for seem to fall in place. A little easier. Authentic worship. Worshiping Him with your words. And the third thing is praise Him in the pain. Praise Him in the pain. Everybody turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter sixteen. It's one of the greatest examples, not the only example, but it's one of the greatest examples of saints praising him in the in the pain, and him being able to do some pretty miraculous, amazing things. This is the story of Paul and Silas in prison. They were in prison for sh- spreading the gospel, and they were, uh, well, we'll read it. You guys with me? Acts chapter sixteen. We'll start in verse twenty-two. It says that the crowd rose up against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off at them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. All because they were um, carrying the gospel. They were with their hands and their feet. In the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, they were doing some pretty wild stuff, and people didn't like it. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into the prison commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. In other words, he's like, I'm not going to be held accountable for something. God might. I'm going to take them all the way in. God can't go all the way down there. Lock them up. Put them in that deep prison. I'm not going to put them on the one upstairs. I'm going to put them on the one downstairs. The dungeon Verse 25 says but after uh, but about midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to praise God Now I can imagine that scourging that beating that they took was awfully painful physically not to mention the pain of being away from people or whatever but at least physically they were uncomfortable And it says that they were praying and singing hymns to praise God and the prisoners were all listening and suddenly, there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. Fastened. And that's not like a hocus pocus. Brew me up some frog legs, and you know that's God, right? No power could do that, but God's power. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. He was about to kill himself. He drew his sword was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Hey, don't harm yourself. We're all here. We're not going anywhere. And he called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And afterward, he brought them out and said, Sir, what must I do to be saved? power of God on display by people who are on a higher plateau of walking in the spirit of the Lord. Amen. They said, "Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved," and you and your household, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in the house. And he took them, and he took them that very hour Of the night and washed their wounds and immediately he was baptized. He and all his household and he brought them into the house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. In other, in other words, everyone got saved. All because they were willing to praise the Lord in the pain. This is something that we are really bad at, um, as American Christians for sure. Not only am I going to not praise him in the pain i'm going to do everything possible to avoid the pain even putting the gospel of jesus christ that has changed my life to the side i'll avoid pain at all costs physical pain sure i don't know that we'll get that pain here in america for a while but I, emotional pain people making fun of me people rejecting the gospel then rejecting the gospel not you by the way I'll just, I'll, just, I'll just stay away from it. Listen, you, that, that creates an unauthentic worshiper in you. But when we have the ability to consistently praise the Lord in the pain, something happens in our own lives, our worship becomes authenticated, and apparently people around us will take note of such a phenomenon and call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. There's no greater display of God's supernatural power than His overwhelming peace in the midst of overwhelming situations. You can write that down. There is no greater display of God's supernatural power than His overwhelming peace in the midst of overwhelming situations. You guys agree with me? Now here's what I want us to do today. I want us to go home with a little bit of a challenge, a little bit of an assignment based upon these three things. Loving Him through obedience, Worshiping him, uh, worshiping him with words and praising Him in the pain. First thing, I would encourage you to make a private list, and I say private, meaning you don't have to share this with everybody, but you have this list of the top five ways. Let's just start with those. Some of you are like, I need a notebook. But the top five ways you can con- that you continually disobey God's Word. And just start tackling them off. And not that I checked. It's like you almost check with dotted lines, Right? because it it could possibly come back. We're not naive to that, right? Make a list. What am I continually, consistently falling short with? What am I continually doing, consistently doing that displeases the Lord? Start hacking away at it. Now, I really encourage you to show that list to somebody because I think it's part of the process. Show the list to somebody. Find someone that can say, how are you doing on your list? If you'd like to email your list to me, I'll help you as much as I can, personally. And if I can't personally, then I'll find someone that can. The second thing is this. Write out all of the uh, write out all of God's character qualities that come to mind. That come to mind. Start with that. He's loving, he's faithful, he's true, he's perfect. You know, just start writing everything that comes to mind and see what you got up in your head. You'd be surprised at the characteristics of God that you actually already have up in your head. And then once you exhaust that list, get in the Word and look for more. Write them down. Read it every day, out loud. Lord, you are good. Lord, you are loving. Lord, you are kind. Your mercies are new every morning. Thank you that you love. You know, whatever. Speak them out. The third thing is, ask the Lord to forgive you for selfish whining and ask for grace to rejoice even in suffering. Ask the Lord to forgive you for selfish whining and ask for grace to rejoice even in the suffering. Those are the three things I want us to leave with this this week. To put into action I hope to to get an email from you. I've made this list and already I'm feeling um, more authentic in my faith and in my worship. Put them into action. We don't have excuses. That's one of the things that we are not going to end 2011 with as a church, is excuses. We are all going to be without excuse. Why? Because we are intentionally reshaping our lives. Amen? Let's stand.